0: If you're looking for a dynamic city to fall in love with, take a closer look at people-friendly Madrid.
1: They're really surprised when they see tons of people walking on the streets at any time of the day, any time of the night, you know. They just usually think about if we do ever work, you know. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Guides from Madrid and Prague clue us in on the charm
0: of their cities today on Travel with Rick Steves. And if it's romance you're looking for, there's a tradition in Prague that happens all the time at the statue of a beloved poet.
2: There is a tradition among the Czech people that the lovers must kiss in front of the statue of Karol Hinek Macha or above a blossoming tree.
0: In fact, any place you look in Prague, it's a feast for the eyes.
3: Everywhere you turn, it's like walking through the pages of a giant architecture textbook.
0: The romance of Prague and Madrid, and listeners share their travel reports on when they needed to rely on the kindness of strangers. It's all just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. We're enjoying a close up look at two of Europe's most romantic cities today on Travel with Rick Steves. Guides from Madrid and from Prague join us to share some of the fun and the romance of their cities. And a little later in the hour, we'll check in with listeners at 877 333 Rick to hear about the kindness you've experienced in your travels and the people you've met who you'll never forget. Madrid's become one of the hottest cities in Europe lately, and we're not just talking about the weather in July. Two Spanish tour guides who recently took us on a walk through their city are back to show us the romantic side of Madrid and to get us better acquainted with the Spanish capital up close. Our guides are Javier Menor and Federico Garcia Barroso. Javier and Federico, thanks for joining us. Gracias, Reg. Thank you. Gracias. When you bring an American through Madrid, as you do day in and day out, what do you find surprises your
4: American guests uh, the most? It's a friendly city. They feel comfortable. And often it's a place they feel they could live in. They're really surprised when they see
1: tons of people walking on the streets at any time of the day, any time of the night, you know. They just usually think about if we do ever work, you know. Because people are there.
0: It feels like everybody's on vacation when I'm in Madrid, and it's just a thriving city. There's a new pedestrian lane that's been
1: uh, built, almost connecting the Royal Palace with the Prado Museum, isn't there? Terrific, because people go everywhere in a short walking distance, you know, nice and clean streets, and people really enjoy that. And it's an incredibly modern city. It's a thriving city of three or four million people,
0: depending on how you count it, and you've got beautiful traditions going on. If you stumble into this one little
4: um, the Church of uh, Corpus Christi, mm-hmm. you can find the cloistered sisters. Oh, yes, and actually you can see them because in that uh, 1700s church, when you walk in, you've got uh, on one side the small church and the main altar, but on the opposite side, like 10 feet above the ground level, you've got a huge grilled window. Behind the window, that is cloistered, and you can see the nuns attending service. You're sort of like a peeping, worshiping Tom. Basically. <laughs> so you can go to that church and the cloistered sisters are sitting there behind the grill mm-hmm. enjoying the same mass that you might be. who never leave the premises will live there.
0: And if you're interested in a snack mm-hmm. and you have
4: a sweet tooth and mm-hmm. you want to sort of um, help contribute to the work of the sisters, of course. what can
0: you
1: do? You just go there and you just knock on the door and then, well, you You follow get...
0: the sign that says uh, sweets for sale or something. Venta de dulces. So, You go in Mm -hmm. and you find this, like this lazy Susan. Lazy Susan, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's got walls on it. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear somebody's voice, Mm -hmm. but you won't see anybody. You don't see anybody. Always
4: a very old cragged voice. It's an old craggy voice.
0: That's right. And uh, they know you want cookies, so you just say uh,
1: cookies, and all of a sudden the Lazy Susan, which must be 100 years old. That is actually from, from, if I'm not wrong, I can see on the wooden window 1761.
4: So it is 250 years old. And it is something that uh, we have done for ages, to buy cookies from the nuns. And may I say, when I was only two weeks old, I was in the Lazy Susan, because my family was in good Mm -hmm. terms with the cloistered nuns' convent. And they took me into the convent. So they gave you a little 360-degree spin yeah. through the convent? No, actually, I was in the cloister section with, for a few minutes with the nuns. Oh, that's so nice. You saw yeah, the I was only two nuns. weeks old. You, see, you <laughs> saw the cloistered nuns when you were two weeks old. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of cookies are these that you get? Well,
1: they have everything. Tea cookies. They have uh, yak cookies. They Coconuts. have uh, coconut Almond also. cookies. Almond cookies. Those are the best, I think. Galletas. Shortbread. Orange flavor also. They
4: run out of stock sometimes, so you oh, can yeah, only buy they what they have. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking
0: about Madrid with Javier Menor and Federico Garcia Barroso. Our phone number is 877 333 7425. Alfonso's on the phone in Allen, Texas. Alfonso, thanks for your call.
5: Thank you very much, Rick. Nice to be on the call with you. I actually grew up in Madrid uh, when I was a kid, and then I went back to study abroad when I was in college. And um, obviously, I'm very attached to the city. One of, one of the things that I wanted to get your uh, guest opinion on, and, and maybe also recommendation for, Fellow uh, travelers would be to check out a Real Madrid game when they're in Madrid. I think that from a personal experience, I'm a big soccer fan, so that's a great thing. But I think it's also that shows you a great uh, character of uh, Spanish society when you really get to see the um, Spanish psyche in it. And I think it's it's great also the pregame and the postgame atmosphere is very different from a professional sporting event in the U.S.
0: So, Alfonso, you're talking about going to the, the big soccer stadium in Madrid and seeing the very popular local team, Real Madrid, play.
5: Exactly,
4: exactly. Javier, what's your recommendations wow. on that? I just wanted to thank you, Alfonso, because lately everybody talks about the Barcelona soccer team. But thanks yeah, for we, supporting we, we, we'll, Real we'll Madrid. We like
5: talk about that, exactly. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so now, how realistic is it, uh, Javier, for an American tourist who doesn't speak Spanish, uh, doesn't have a lot of money to go see a soccer Unless game? Unless it's an important game, right. one of those really highlights... It's accessible. You can get a ticket for maybe over 50 euros. Mm-hmm. And it's an 80,000 people stadium. 80,000 people and, and you pay 50 euros. That's uh, like $70 on dollars the game. for a ticket. You yeah. can maybe get a ticket for that. And it's so exciting. Very friendly. And you're surrounded people by 80,000 Madrilenos. There's probably not sure. many tourists there. Uh, always find a few, yeah. but uh not many. Right, And it's friendly. Kids go there, won't be in trouble. And it's real exciting.
0: Alfonso, you were talking about enjoying the pre- and the post-game action. What do you mean by that?
5: Pre-game, actually, people sort of convene outside of the stadium. And uh, there's a lot of bars. There's actually a really nice tapas bar on one of the corners called La Lateral, which I really enjoy going to. And just sort of you you talk to people, you really see sort of people just have more of what they call tertulias, right? They, They talk about the game. They talk about the players. So I think it's a great experience.
0: So you have the tailgate kind of action, but without the tailgates.
5: Exactly, very different from an American uh, sports tailgating.
0: All right, and after the game, how, what's it like?
5: Um, well, if Madrid wins, it's usually pretty good. If Madrid loses, it's it, you know it's probably more of a somber atmosphere. But
1: I think you can actually tour the stadium when there's not a, a game going on. Oh yes, of course. I, hey, amigo, Do you see the, the museum, Real Madrid museum?
5: Exactly. There's a there's a museum. There's a restaurant. Although the rough ones mm-hmm. and knife, a little bit overpriced.
1: And then you see in the museum by the way that Real Madrid has been classified as the best soccer team ever in the history of the 20th century. They show you that. Is that right? Yeah. Now what That's is the it. season
0: Federico for the soccer games?
1: Well it's actually um,
4: late August late August uh, exactly early June. Uh, late yeah, August until early June it mm-hmm. mm-hmm. depends on the year but approximately. Almost mm-hmm. the whole year then except for the hottest part July yep. and August. In the yeah. summer we have summer tournaments. Okay so mm-hmm. you can see we, soccer any yeah. time of year. year. We leave we live on football. soccer. You live on baseball. We live on soccer. Mm-hmm. All right. And you feel a
0: very a big energy in the stadium with 80,000 people. I don't of think course. Americans understand the passion for what
4: Europeans call football Yeah. <laughs> uh, until you go to the stadium and you're going to learn a lot about more than soccer. And uh, European stadiums, mm-hmm. often within the cities, they're very vertical, they're spread out, and they don't have a parking lot. So That's it's a right. different experience. Alfonso, thanks for the, uh, the insight and the
0: recommendation.
5: No problem. Thank you. Rick. Great show. Thank
0: thanks. you, and happy travels. Suzanne's on the line from Riverside, California. Suzanne, thanks for your call.
5: Hello. I went went
6: on my very first European trip ever, and the first place we landed was Madrid. And I'm telling you, I just fell in love with that city. The people, more than anything else, the people and the architecture were just so incredibly amazing. I was on a, a structured tour, but the time that we had outside of the tour to just kind of wander through the city was so incredible you can just stop anybody anywhere and have a full-on conversation and you never know what you're going to get
0: that's so cool your first day in europe was in madrid and you just had a beautiful time with the people you know, one thing I like to do when I'm in Madrid is to take the electrical bus right through the old center. It goes around. It's one of these, uh, they call them slipper buses for the older ladies that hardly get out of their slippers and robes but need to get down to the grocery store and can't really walk a long way. Yeah. Is that still going, this this little electrical bus? It's still, it's still
1: going. It's still going, and it is, it is actually quite popular. And quite you can
0: popular. sit in that and just enjoy the ride and talk to people as they come and go for the whole yeah. trip? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Suzanne, what would you recommend for people when they're in Madrid to be sure to do?
6: Well, to get off the beaten path. Right. We would start our day almost every day in Puerto del Sol Uh and just kind of wander. One day we would go one direction, go shopping, but the best times we had were after 10 o'clock at night, just kind of strolling through the city with everybody outside.
0: So wait a minute, you're you're a woman, it's your first day in Europe, you're in a big city, nobody knows you, and you're out at
4: midnight walking around? Oh, yeah. You will never feel alone (laughs) because 10 p.m., streets are crowded. That's true. Lots of people.
6: If you were in in l a this would be three o'clock in the afternoon. The city is just full of people. It seemed that when the sun was going down, which was about nine ten o'clock at night, we somehow were out in front of the palace every night, and there were people on roller skates and rollerblades and walking their mm-hmm. dogs and In this concrete city, there were so many people out with walking their dogs every night
4: in in front of the royal palace. And I I gotta say, sunset
0: by the palace is really great. And that used to be such a horrible traffic congestion place there, and now it is landscaped. Mm -hmm. It's got outdoor cafes. Mm -hmm. It's got the palace right there. Mm -hmm. You just think every American should come here and see
4: how to organize and design the day I grow up. I want to buy a penthouse in that square. What's the name of that (laughs) square? Plaza de Oriente. So, a place of the Oriente. One day when I become a grown up, I want to leave there. Oh, uh, Invite me over.
6: That city just made such an impact on me. I'm going to live in Madrid someday. I don't know when, I don't know how. I may be 80 years old when I do it, but I'm going to live
1: in Madrid someday. I just love your words because you, you really captured the, the, the sense of Madrileinians. I mean, I, I really I really like what you say because that's what I think, but I am Madrilenian. that's my city, what can I say? But when I see that a foreigner comes for the first time and you immediately understand all that. I mean, it's, it's just it's terrific because and that is uh, the way to enjoy uh, Ana, Absolutely.
4: <laughs> Next time you come, call us. We'll take you for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> and this is yes, a I found, promise.
6: I found a, um, a little bar between Plaza Mayor and the Opera Metro Stop mm-hmm. that had the best sangria I've ever had. And <laughs> I've been trying to duplicate it since I've been home.
4: Don't forget about the wine.
6: <laughs> oh, I couldn't forget the
0: wine. <laughs> and you know, Susanna, you may try and try and try to recreate that sangria back home. And in fact, you could create physically the same sangria back in Riverside, California, but you're not it in Spain. Not be the same. That's the thing. It would not be the sangria is really sangria when you are in the homeland of Javier Menar and Federico Garcia
1: Barroso. Thanks, Susanna, for your call.
6: All right. Thank you. Happy travels.
1: Bye bye, Susanna. Bye-bye. We are really friendly I people. I mean, with all my respect to many other places in Spain, we are the friendly people. I use
4: the phrase that Barcelona is a top model; she's beautiful but inaccessible, mm-hmm. and Madrid is the hot girl next door. No, absolutely. I can That's see the travel is. poster right now. You know, I wouldn't
0: disagree with you. I think Barcelona is a beautiful place, but if you if you just want to go out and have fun with the the gang, hmm. Madrid is so accessible. It's a different feeling. Hmm. Javier, Federico, thank you very much. You've given us a lot of great ideas about your beautiful city. Thank you, Brink. Gracias. Un placer. Next, we'll see how the streets of Prague turn the golden city of a hundred spires into a truly romantic destination. And we'll check in with listeners to hear stories of everyday acts of kindness that have made a big difference in their travels. We're at 877-333-7425. And by email, it's radio at ricksteves.com. is uh, a hot model. It's a Madrid model. Madrid's a Madrid's a hot, hot is a girl hot, hot girl next girl door. I want to take your That's tour. <Okay>. You don't have to take many steps in the cobbled streets of Prague before you realize what an architectural treasure the city is. To help us better discover more of the magic of Prague, we're joined right now by Czech tour guide Jana Hrankova from Prague and by my co-author of the Rick Steves' Eastern Europe guidebook, Cameron Hewitt. Jana and Cameron, thanks for being with us.
3: Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Jana, what a beautiful city you must live in, and you have all of these tourists coming. It must be the most popular destination in Eastern Europe. How can we appreciate the architectural and visual brilliance of the city that's nicknamed the, the Golden City of 100 Spires?
2: Prague is a very old and, and historical city. And when you walk through all the historical four towns of Prague, original four towns, you can really see the different architectural styles.
0: Prague must have had both more money and less bombs to have all of this to look at today.
2: Well, luckily, Prague wasn't really destroyed during the, the World War II. Right. So that, that's why it was saved. It was never really bombed completely as other cities in Germany or any other countries during the World War II. So that that's why the beauty of Prague really survived.
0: And what is the nickname, the golden city of a hundred spires, or what what is the
2: Well, we have many, many, many <laughs> more than a hundred. More than a hundred, <laughs> yeah.
0: The golden city of more than a hundred spires. Churches,
2: really. So you can you can nicely see it from for example from the castle. Yeah. And you see the whole city below you, and you can only see, you know, like the spires of all the different churches. What is Countless. Your, you've number. had
0: you've had countless tourists that you've showed around Prague. What's your favorite viewpoint where you're most proud to show your city and what would we see?
2: Well, that would be definitely next to the Strahov Monastery. And that, what do we that's see? We, that's one. above the castle even, yeah, I mean, looking exactly. out over the city. What do yeah. you see? Because we can really see the whole city there. We have the castle on the left-hand side. We can see the beautiful lesser quarter below us. And then in the distance, we can also see the old town, new town area.
0: Cameron Hewitt, if you're going to be understanding the many layers of architecture in the city, it's famously a Baroque city, but but you've also got great Gothic and, and great modern architecture. Talk a little bit about the, the layers of architecture we can see in Prague.
3: That's exactly right, and it's because it's been so well-preserved. When you think about Europe, especially Central Europe, most of the cities and the capital cities were just bombed flat during World War II, if not before, and Prague is this sort of almost miraculous example of a city where that didn't happen. So you have these layers upon layers I love walking through the streets of Prague and you've got these big, hulking, gothic towers, these big, dark stone towers with pointy tops, right next to these gorgeous, late 20th century Art Nouveau, frilly, flamboyant concert halls. Everywhere you turn, it's like walking through the pages of a giant architecture textbook. It's really an amazing place. Now, when you
0: go to the train station, you get a sense of the lack of artistic taste the communists had, because I think they built the train station, which is just a concrete slab. But elsewhere in the city, you don't feel like it was done with a heavy hand. It feels elegant.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Baroque buildings. What what would we see that would be Baroque?
3: When you're standing on the Old Town Square, for example, right. you can do a sort of a spin tour. You can spin 180 degrees, and then you'll you'll see everything from these gorgeous Baroque mansions, Rococo mansions, really frilly, over-the-top, kind of exuberant 18th-century mansions, And then you turn 90 degrees, and again, here's this kind of pointy topped Gothic church, this sort of classic what you think of when you think of Prague architecture. The clock tower overlooking the the whole thing, also this old Gothic structure. Renaissance mansions uh, here and there. It's just, just an amazing... And
0: if you want to see modern architecture, you just go down the river a little bit. What do you see, Jana?
2: And over there you can hit the dancing house, how we call it.
0: You call it the dancing house. Dancing
2: house. Describe
0: the building and why we call it the dancing house.
2: Uh, Because it was designed by Frank Gehry. And the thing is that it really looks like a ginger and fret. That's right. So the the the
0: lady would be sort of flowing. Figures, exactly. And the man is standing straight.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lady with the skirt and the man with the hat. So ginger and fret dancing there by the river.
0: You know, one of my favorite dimensions of Prague is the Art Nouveau, and there's some beautiful Art Nouveau buildings. Where yeah. do you go for Art Nouveau in Prague?
2: Well, the most beautiful building in, in Prague is the Municipal House, yeah. which was really built at the beginning of the 20th century.
0: And one thing nice about that is the tours they give there.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can, you can really admire the, the beauty of the building, not only from outside, but the beautifully decorated and richly decorated interiors over there.
3: Another nice facet of that is it was built as a concert hall, and it still is. And one Mm -hmm. time I was lucky enough to see just wonderful performances of Czech compositions by Czech composers. Uh, Smetana, for example, have these just wonderful flowing anthems celebrating the Czech spirit. And you're sitting in this gorgeous example of Czech Art Nouveau in the municipal house. It's just one of those great travel experiences where you feel like on so many levels you're engaging this culture.
0: And then right outside is the attached restaurant, which is affordable. I mean, it's a little bit touristy, but it's just sumptuous. with It's just dripping with Art Nouveau elegance. What's the name of that restaurant?
2: That's the French restaurant over there. The French restaurant. Which is just situated inside of the building, really. You
0: know, when we think of Art Nouveau, the big news in Prague, and we have to talk about that, is the return of Muka's Slavic epic. And it's it's huge panels, huge canvases that tell the epic story of the struggle of the Slavic people through the centuries, It was parked way in the far-eastern fringe of the country because of a dispute with the family and where it would end up, and today it's back in Prague. Where can we see the Slavic epic, Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's back in Prague, uh, returned to Prague. It's uh, now displayed in uh, Veletržní palác, how we call it. It's a little bit out of the city center, but it's easy to get there by the public transport, And you can really nicely see all the beautiful 20 paintings over there.
0: 20 paintings. Mm. Cameron, if you were going to Prague, I would think that would be number one on your list if you're interested in uniquely Czech art to see.
3: Absolutely. And the thing is, even as someone who's been to Prague many times, to be honest, this is a fantastic work of Czech art. I've never seen it because it's been scrolled away in this castle really Mm. in the middle of nowhere for for many, many years. This is the first time it's been so easy to get to. So it's, it's really worth uh, making a trip to Prague just to see that, I think.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Prague, and we're joined by two guides who know Prague well. Cameron Hewitt, who's the co-author of our Rick Steves' Eastern Europe guidebook, and Jana Hrankova, who's a friend of ours who is a guide in Prague. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And on the phone, we have Joyce from Bellevue, Washington. Joyce, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Thank
7: you for taking
6: my call. Um, my husband and I love garden tours. And when we visit uh, European cities, it's always a treat to see the garden. And I was wondering what are some of the must-see gardens in Prague and when will be the best season? I mean, flowering
2: or is it fall?
0: All right. Jana, tell us about the best garden if you're a tourist and you want to see one great garden in Prague and when would be the good time to see it?
2: Well, usually the gardens will open in April. That's kind of like the summer season from April till uh, November. And uh, my recommendation would be really the Royal Garden, which is directly next to the castle, on the top of the hill. It's like on the way to the castle. And you can nicely enter the garden and walk through it. And especially April, May... That's the time, really, the best time to see the garden because the garden is full of tulips. Really. Oh, that's
0: nice. Joyce, have you been to Prague yet?
7: No, not yet, but I have read quite a bit about it. So.
0: When you go to yes. Prague, I think the biggest castle in the world, by some measures, is right there in Prague. And okay. personally, I would go all the way up to the castle and see that. And then as you walk downhill from the castle, if you look at the map carefully, the path will wind uh-huh. you right through this garden that Jan is oh, talking wonderful. about. So thanks for your call, Joyce.
7: Yeah, thank you, Rick.
0: Cameron, any thoughts on the on the Royal Garden?
3: Uh, the thing that's amazing about Prague is around the foothill of this uh, hill where the castle is, uh, there's just all these former palaces of these great noble families, and each one seems to have their own little what was a private garden. A lot of them now open to the public, and I can't even name them all. There's so many that are kind of mm-hmm. scattered around here, and I've I've been in Prague before with my Czech friends And they'll go to this garden that's uh, probably most people would say is fifth tier. And you walk in and it's just this gorgeous Mm. little oasis just at the foot of Castle Hill. And they're just all over the place. If someone's into gardens, they could really do some research and find a lot of great choices in Prague.
0: And you can basically wind your way through many of them as you go downhill from the castle. And Joseph's on the line from Indianapolis, Indiana. Joseph, thanks for your call.
5: Thanks for having me, Rick. My wife and I will be in Prague for a few days for our anniversary next year. And we were wondering, what would you recommend for, like, your top three experiences to truly get in touch with the culture of the Czech people in Prague?
0: Ooh, I like that. Not sites, but experiences. We'll let Jana answer that, and then Cameron can be thinking of his answer. Jana, the top three experiences.
2: Okay. Well, if that would be, like, an anniversary trip, then I would recommend maybe visiting some traditional restaurants and having a nice traditional uh, dinner, Czech dinner over there. Because we are really like a beer country, so maybe visiting uh, some nice brewery over there. A brewery? Yeah, because we have a nice... uh, A romantic brewery? Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Romantic on Czech terms, yes, okay. Well,
2: we have a brewery which is situated next to the Strahov Monastery. It used to be part of the the monastery. Oh,
0: where you've got the seats outside with the view? Exactly. Perfect. So Strahov, remember that, Joseph, it's Strahov is the monastery above the castle. It has a restaurant, and the outdoor tables exactly. have the best and, and view, and the view in all of the view is beautiful. Prague. Jana, what are two more experiences for Joseph and his wife on their anniversary?
2: Another thing that I would recommend would be the paddle the boats that you can rent. And you can really nicely see the whole city from the river.
0: From the Voltava.
2: From the Voltava and River. And I, I
0: notice a lot of Czech romantic couples are out on the little pedal boat for two.
2: Yeah, definitely. You can spend uh, many hours just uh, pedaling around the city and seeing all the beautiful sights around you okay. directly from the, from the river. Right? And another experience. Uh, then also uh, maybe seeing some uh, Black Light Theatre show okay. because Prague is uh, very, very popular among the, the Black Light Theatre. Black Light.
0: Okay, now what is Black Light?
2: The first really like a black light theater was uh, Laterna Magica. Uh, the, the
0: magic lantern.
2: Exactly, exactly. Okay. So
0: you've got actors coming out on stage with uh, fluorescent costumes in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of, Cameron, how would you describe
3: black light? It's kind of like an illusion or a puppet show, and and they use a combination of black light and, and other kind of visual yeah. Uh, like optical illusion filming. kind of tricks, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's, it's uniquely very Czech. surreal. It's very clever. It's very uh, absurd. Kind of absurd, exactly. Absurd.
0: There's a lot of absurdity that weaves itself into Czech culture.
3: There is. It's also nice because it, there's not really a language barrier. It's it's all kind of symbolic, and and you yeah, don't have to be following a plot. It's just all kind of very impressionistic.
0: There you go, Joseph. You've got the paddle boat on the Voltava River. You've got a romantic evening in a brewery, and with the best view in town under the Strahov Monastery. And uh, you've got the Blacklight Theater. Cameron, you've got some more ideas.
3: And a couple other ideas. If you want to take her out for the most scenic drink in town, there's this wonderful cafe terrace right across the street from the famous astronomical clock overlooking the Old Town Square. There's a really fancy hotel called the uh, U Prince, I think it's called. And up on the fifth floor the very top, there's this tiny little balcony that no one knows about, and you don't have to be a guest to go up there. And they've got overpriced cocktails with the best view in Prague overlooking not only the astronomical clock tower, but also the beautiful Old Town Square at your feet. Uh, Mm. Really a romantic spot. That's a great place for an impressive and a memorable drink.
0: And when you go up there, you feel like you really have a discovery. Even though it's in the top of a hotel, it just feels like you've found the perfect perch, looking down on possibly the greatest square in Europe. Joseph, there's some ideas for you.
5: All right. Thanks a lot.
0: Have a good time. All right. We will. And Randall from Lafayette, Colorado, emails us, and Randall wrote, be sure to see Prague with someone you love, for I feel that Prague is the most romantic city in Europe, and it's far less expensive than Paris, and the people are friendlier as well. Jana, what do you think about that? Randall says it's the most romantic city in Europe. Where's the best place to kiss in Prague? Let's finish with that idea, the most romantic spot.
2: I would definitely agree that Prague is the most romantic city in the whole Europe, and I would recommend them to take uh, the funicular up the Petřín hill, uh-huh. which is a beautiful uh, big park next to the Prague Castle. And over there inside of the park, we have a statue of the most romantic uh, rider or... Uh, a romantic poet. Romantic poet, Mácha. And he wrote a, a very romantic poem uh, about his, uh, his love. And there is a tradition among the Czech people that uh, the lovers must kiss in front of the statue of Karol Hinek Mácha or above a blossoming tree, really, a cherished tree. Below
0: a blossoming tree, Yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking about the beautiful uh, lines of this great Czech poet. Exactly, exactly. What's the poet's name again?
2: Mácha. Karal Hinek Mácha is his name. Mácha. So on uh, 1st can, of May, that's uh, the tradition, but you can do it anytime.
0: Okay, but on the 1st of May, you'll find a lot of young romantic Czech couples up there.
2: Yeah, the whole hill is full of them. Do you the know a line
0: from Mácha?
2: Uh, well, první of May, Čas. It's kind of like it was 1st of May, the time for love. <laughs> that's kind of the first line.
0: In the r- most romantic city in Europe, my beloved Praha.
2: Moje milovaná Praha.
0: Děkuji. Thank you you very much, Jana, and thank you, Cameron, for helping us uh, appreciate Prague a little more in depth than we have in the past.
3: Thanks for having me,
8: Rick.
0: We'll check in with listeners in a moment at 877 333 7425 for reports on how the kindness of strangers has made all the difference in their travels. But first, we have a couple more suggestions for cities that inspire romance. Gail in Trabuco Canyon, California, emails us, and she writes Without a doubt, the most romantic place in all of Europe is St. Mark's Square in Venice in the evening. Get an outdoor table at one of the cafes around the perimeter of the square, order a couple glasses of wine, and enjoy a night of musical showmanship from the dueling quartets and quintets around the square. It's timeless and fairy tale, truly La Dolce Vita. Wow, that's a beautiful thought, Gail. And you're right. The main square in Venice, the only square in Venice that merits the word piazza, it's a dominant square and it is the ground zero for romance. You've got the dueling orchestras playing in the two venerable cafes. A lot of tourists complain about a $20 glass of wine there, but I'll tell you, you're not buying a glass of wine. You're renting a piece of the most uh, romantic real estate in all of Europe that comes complete with orchestra accompaniment so uh, plan to sit a while you can order one glass of wine or beer or a coffee and uh, while away the hours and enjoy the orchestra enjoy the ambiance and if you're a budget traveler you simply stand in the middle of the square and you can waltz with your traveler as the orchestra strikes up the music and enjoy the same kind of beautiful atmosphere without spending a penny and uh, we've got Liz on the line from Aston, Pennsylvania Liz, thanks for your call Thanks, Rick Yeah, you've got some ideas for romance far away from home?
6: Yes, um, I actually just got back from a trip to China, and um, one of the most romantic cities, and this took me by surprise, was actually Shanghai. And they had this beautiful area called the Bund, where sort of this old-world European architecture meets some of the most modern buildings, I think, in the world over this river. And if you go to the Bund at night, um, they light up all this architecture, these beautiful old Victorian banks that were settled by French and English and German settlers uh, in the 1800s, and they illuminate this gorgeous river. But across the way, you have these fantastically new skyscrapers. They look like out of a, a movie. They don't even look real, like the, the Pearl Tower. And all this being illuminated, it's just gorgeous to walk around the river. There are a lot of restaurants that you can eat at the Bonds over wine, and you can see this beautiful scenery where you see this clash in Asia of, of the modern world and the old world.
0: You know, that is such a good observation. When you go to Shanghai, I went there just to see the skyline. I mean, as you said, this incredible fairy tale skyline right out of some futuristic movie, and it's all beautifully lit at night on the bend of the river, and I enjoyed actually going into those skyscrapers. They were office parks, and they would have big public areas in the middle and huge extravagant waste of space inside, and you could ride the elevator up to the very top and just an incredible experience to enjoy the most over-the-top skyline And then just over the river, you've got the Bund, B-U-N-D, and you said that was the traditional, old-fashioned, cozy architecture. Is that right?
6: There's a lot of beautiful Art Deco buildings. Uh, Any type you can think of, if you didn't look across the river, you may actually think that you were in a European city instead of the middle of Asia.
0: Well, thank goodness they're saving that Bund district because I know that in Shanghai, they're throwing up the equivalent of one skyscraper a day when you consider, you know, cubic yards of uh, new construction I know a lot of great traditional building was, was bulldozed to make room for those skyscrapers, but they apparently have chosen to preserve a, a little bit of their architectural heritage. And then you've got that nice romantic oasis of cozy old-fashioned buildings from where to enjoy that most striking skyscraper skyline, I think, anywhere on the planet.
6: It's beautiful and, and unbelievable to see.
0: All right, Liz, thanks very much for your call. Thank you, Rick. Just ahead, more of your calls to 877 for reports on when the kindness of strangers really saved the day in your travels. Or post your own story to our radio message board. It's in the radio section of our website, ricksteves.com. Sometimes the interactions you have with strangers while traveling turn out to be the best things you remember about that overseas trip. And sometimes those encounters can be a lifesaver. Let's check in with listeners now at 877-333-7425 for reports on the kindness that strangers showed you in your travels. Sally's on the line in Lavelle, Pennsylvania. Sally, thanks for your call.
9: Thank you, Rick. Um, Three years ago, I solo trekked through eight European countries over three months on a shoestring. And, uh, you know, traveling like that, there's an experience of so much of the kindness of strangers. And I was cat sitting for a few weeks on left cot of Island Greece. And each day would go out to swim in the sea. And one day I was out and the the swells would lift me way high and I'd look out to the sea and see the ships and then way low and I'd see nothing and way high and see the beach way low, see nothing. Um, I wondered why the beach was full of bathers, but no one but myself was swimming. (laughs) mm -hmm. Um, As I swam to shore after about an hour, the water felt very strange, and before I knew what hit me, I was being hit by what felt like a tractor-trailer truck and a thrashing of a hydraulic, and I went to hurriedly grab my glasses, which I actually was floating and swimming with because I'm quite vision impaired. So as I went to grab my glasses, being hit by a force like I've never felt before. Uh, Here, two men, one on each side, grabbed my hands, and they hauled me out of the sea, just out of this suction hydraulic where there was about a, I'd say, about an eight-foot straight-down drop that had hollowed out a straight-down of the beach, so I would have very possibly broken my neck or, or been drowned, and these Greek men who I'd never met before, I was there alone, hauled me out, saved my life. I learned that two uh, men in their 20s, two strong young men, earlier that week in these same deadly conditions had been killed at that beach.
0: Oh, my goodness.
9: But, amazingly,
0: You were one lucky traveler in that case.
9: These two angels showed up. Oh,
0: that's great.
9: And, of course, my glasses were not to be found.
0: You were lucky your life was to be found.
9: I was so lucky my life was to be found.
0: My goodness.
9: The next day I was poised to head back across the country alone, virtually blind, Hmm. across the world, actually, halfway across the world. So I went in a little shop in the town, asked if they happened to have any uh, discarded old glasses that Mm
7: -hmm.
9: (laughs) I might possibly see a slight bit better to read the signs in the airports. And of all things, they happened to have a contact lens that was the prescription I knew mine to be. And when I asked the price of it, they said, oh, no charge, and refused to take a penny. Whoa. And I returned home across the world with my one eye.
0: With, one, with somebody else's <laughs> contact lens.
9: <laughs> well, from the little eye shop.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, Sally from Pennsylvania, those are fun travel stories. Thanks for sharing.
9: You're welcome, Rick. Okay, take care. Thank
8: you.
0: No, Bye. And Jay Bruce is on the line in a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Jay Bruce, thanks for your call.
8: Yes, thanks, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. I really enjoy your show. I uh, I wanted to relate a story that happened to me after I uh, left Los Angeles area in 1988 on a sailboat and ended up in Mexico in the Sea of Cortez. And I was there for a couple of years, but unfortunately didn't learn to speak Spanish at that time. And I found myself in need of returning to California for a little while, and I had a truck down there, so I uh, got in my truck from near Puerto Vallarta and headed up to California, which is about a two-day drive across the uh, mostly desert. And it got to be about four o'clock in the morning, and I was just exhausted, and decided that I uh, I'd better not continue. So I decided I would just pull off the road and. Find a place where I could get off far enough that I wouldn't be in danger of being hit by anybody. And I pulled down a little dirt trail that I didn't think was much, but there were things growing up all around it, and I couldn't see exactly where I was. Well, I fell asleep, and in the morning, I awoke to a knock on the window, and I was startled awake. And when I looked up, I saw that I had parked nearly right in front of a person's house. And there was a woman standing, an older woman standing, at my window. And I rolled down my window as quickly as I could and tried to apologize in the little bit of Spanish that I had. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, that's fine. She said, I just wanted to let you know that I brought you breakfast. And if you'd like to go wash up first, you can use the sink over there.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. It was
8: amazing. Here I am, an American stranger, sitting practically at her front door in my truck and she brought me breakfast. She wasn't even the least bit concerned.
0: <laughs> and this was a a humble village woman or something. I mean, it's that, It
8: was. Yes, yeah. just a very humble, very rural Mexican village. And, and in fact, there was not even a village nearby that I could see. You know, I it bet was,
0: you to this day she remembers meeting you.
8: Perhaps so, because this American just dropped out of some place and landed on her front porch. And it never even occurred to her to be angry. And it was the most wonderful experience. And that truly, I've been sailing and traveling by sailboat now since 1988. I've been through all of the Bahamas. I've been the entire Pacific coast of the United States and Central America. And all the time, I've always found that the rural people are all basically the same. Everyone around the world is just friendly people, and children especially are the same everywhere. Little boys tease little girls, and little girls tease little boys back, and everything is just the same as it is in your house, it is my house, and houses in every village and every place in the world.
0: Jay Bruce, i got to say, you sound awfully naive, because uh, there's there's a lot of Americans that never get out of their town, and they watch TV, and they'd be scared to death to do what you're doing, because people are so dangerous out there.
8: Yes, this is true.
0: Thank you so much, and happy sailing. All right.
8: Thank you very much.
0: Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. The small kindnesses that we experience in our travels can really make a big difference in how we view the world. Share your stories of travel kindness by email with us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Marilyn's on the line in Eurexville, Ohio. Marilyn, thanks for your call.
10: Well, it's good to talk to you, Rick.
0: I understand you've had uh, some memories about uh, encounters with strangers that you'd like to share.
10: Yes, about 10 years ago, my husband and I were in France. We were in the Alsace region, and we were staying in Strasbourg, and my husband always was the tour guide. He arranged all this And we were staying in a small hotel, and he asked at the desk for directions to the city center. So the desk clerk had told him it was an easy 10-minute walk, so we set off to see the sights. About a half hour later, we decided we had definitely had a problem. So since we've been walking along a sort of paved pathway, it was used by walkers and cyclists, and every now and then we'd see a car go by. So we were walking along single file because cars were on there occasionally. And at some point, I realized he was not behind me,
0: Mm
10: -hmm. sort of a sixth sense sort of thing. So you're separated from your husband. I turned around, and I spotted him a distance away, and he was chatting with a local gentleman. And the thought that went through my mind was that this ought to be really interesting because Joel doesn't speak any French beyond hello, goodbye, please, and thank you. And so I walked back to where he was, joined them, and, and they seemed to be doing just fine. And the Frenchman was speaking sort of uh, German-flavored English. And my dear and husband was smiling a lot. So he had explained to the man that we were sort of lost and mentioned that I spoke French. And uh, so the man had summoned his wife. So by the time I got there, she was there and so we chatted back and forth a, a bit, and she said, en Francais, of course, uh, that it was indeed a short jaunt. She then got in her car and led us to where the spot where we should have turned and bid us bon voyage. Mm. And it was something that really we never ever forgot. We, between the two of us, we'd been in 20 different countries. Mm-hmm. And of all the places we'd been, that particular one really stood out. And it came into use for me because I taught French, and almost every year students would come in and say that their mom, their dad, their aunt, whoever, told them that the French people were always rude. Mm -hmm. So I would ask them if those particular people had ever met a real-life French person, Mm -hmm. And he almost always answered, well, no.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so isn't that I, interesting? It always works that way, doesn't it? The people who they are so, the, they're huh? so convinced that something's wrong with some other place and you ask them, how do they know? And, well, they don't really know how they know. I guess I picked it up on yes. TV or something. And then you've been there and you've yes. got the actual first-hand experience.
10: Yes, and one of the things when I started with my first-year students, I would emphasize that different does not make it better or worse. It's just, Different.
0: And in France, they say vive la différence with that same philosophy, don't they?
10: Yes, exactly. I love and that.
0: It's an acknowledgement that, hey, we can differ. I do it this way, you do it that way. Let's celebrate it. Exactly. Vive la différence.
10: Exactly. I traveled with students, I believe, maybe five different times over the years. And I always told them don't go on this trip if you're expecting to see America, because mm. it's not there. That's <laughs> not why you're going. You're going to find the different things. You Marilyn,
0: <laughs> I think you're a great teacher, and I would imagine taking kids over to France has been some of the most rewarding teaching you've had a chance to do.
10: The best part was watching their eyes light up. Yeah. It, it's one thing to see it in a book. It's a whole <laughs> other thing to be there. Mm.
0: For a lot of families, they can just write the check and send their kids to Europe, but other families really have to scrimp and save. And yes. Do you ever wonder... Is it worth the financial burden to have families that aren't wealthy figure out a way to get their kids over to Europe on a school trip like those that you led?
10: Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, In fact, we had an incident that... I had traveled with the same company for several years. And the trip was paid for. It was May. We were going in June. This is many years ago made a phone call to the company, and there was a recorded message that the company had gone out of business. Mm. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) I
8: thought,
10: my career, the whole thing. Somebody here, I know who it is now, but I didn't immediately. Somebody called one of the other chaperones and said, Do you know another company to contact? I will pay for them to go.
0: Oh, the the first company went out of business taking everybody's money? Well,
10: yes. Yes, so they had, this, this was an illegal situation. Wow, so this time.
0: angel came about on board and yes. salvaged the whole experience because you couldn't expect the yes. families to pay twice. No. Oh. The
10: kids were they were more enthusiastic than any other group I had ever taken wow. before or after because they understood how lucky they were. Yeah,
0: what year was so it how, when that company went out of business? That
10: would have been about 92
7: Okay, because since then,
0: there. just so parents and people who are concerned understand, since then I believe there are new laws that require tour companies to hold that money in a escrow an escrow account until yes. they actually perform the tour so that people don't end yes. up paying for a trip that they never get. Hey, Marilyn from Ohio, yes. thanks so much for sharing and good luck with your teaching and your travels.
10: Enjoyed talking to you. Bye now. Bye-bye.
0: Nancy's on the phone in Baltimore, Maryland. Nancy, thanks for your call.
7: Hi, Rick. It's really a treat to talk with you.
0: Thank you. Now, you, now you had an experience in the Peace Corps that, that sounds quite interesting.
7: Yes. Well, I was in Malaysia 7 group back in 64 and 65. I was assigned to a small fishing village on the South China Sea in the state of Terengganu, and I taught hearing-impaired children in the national language of Malaysia. And I was a speech and hearing therapist at the time. I was there almost a whole year, living in a little house on stilts in the village, just at the edge of the jungle, and one night I was attacked. And my experience of the kind of strangers really is calling to mind two particular families. One was an Indian family who were neighbors of mine, and I had taught Sunday school to their children. They had so little, and they gave to me from what little they had. While I was in the clinic in this little village, they came and brought me a bowl of upuma, which is an Indian dish. It is cream of wheat, some Indian spices. And it was so comforting and so nourishing. And they gave comfort to me. In my spirit as well as my body, I have never forgotten oh. the taste of that of that wonderful gift. I was 23 years old and 10,000 miles from home. Oh my goodness! And uh, it was quite traumatic, but I survived. The other couple who extended such kindness to me also were the headmaster of my school and his wife. They came. To the clinic, and she gave me a package wrapped in brown paper, which was traditional gift wrapping, and she said to me, Nancy, when someone we love is leaving us, we give them something of special meaning to us. In this little package was her wedding sarong and her wedding shawl made of long silk with beautiful gold threads all through it. And, of course, I still have it. I treasure it. And there's a Malay proverb that I think is just so beautiful for this topic. And it says, we can pay back the loan of gold, but we die in debt to those who are kind. And that's what I experienced through that event that that could have been completely awful, but it was redeemed by the kindness wow, of that's, the people. Wow,
0: that is quite an inspiration. You, you very well could have become a bitter person and come back filled with fear and, and anger, but these people helped turn that around.
7: Yes. One of the difficult things was that I was taken to the capital city after four days uh, by Peace Corps staff, and I was assigned to a new school, And one day, as I was coming home from school, from teaching, I felt really ill. I was pregnant. So I chose to carry that pregnancy to term because I absolutely love being alive, and I wanted to give that to this child. As it turns out, it was a full-term pregnancy, and she uh, was stillborn. And so in her memory now... I have a small scholarship here that goes to an inner-city school in Baltimore, and that just gives me such joy. And it means that my body was conquered, but now I can say my spirit hasn't been conquered. It's been a long journey. It has not been an easy one without awful consequences, but on balance, I think it's a story of hope. And I feel that my daughter's message is one of hope, and light, and love, and that's what she and I together are putting out into the world.
0: Wow, and 50 years later, from a from a village in Malaysia to Baltimore, Maryland, there's this connection, yeah. really this connection that is really created by your positive spirit and big heart and uh, probably inspired by the care and the, and the thoughtfulness and the love from your neighbors during that Absolutely. horrific day. Whoa. Absolutely. Well, Nancy, thank you for sharing that I'm sure that it's touched people and, and brought uh, compassion and understanding of people beyond your wildest imagination.
7: That would be wonderful. Well, Good. thank you so much, Rick.
0: Thank All you, right. Nancy. Bye-bye.
4: Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. blood sail tonight Fated in its blindness Won't The darkness heart beat. Listen to our hearts
3: beat. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tappan with Sarah McCormick at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more to each week's show in the radio section of our website. You'll find podcast features including Rick narrating downloadable walking tours to Europe's major cities. It's all at ricksteves.com. We'll see you next week with more Travel with Rick Steves. Each
1: year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Eastern Europe and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of the best of Eastern Europe, the best of the Adriatic, Prague and Budapest, and Bulgaria. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.